going to continue on in the Gospel according to John chapter 1, starting in verse 4. We'll read verses 4 and 5 tonight. Here's what it says. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for how marvelous and how wonderful Your love is upon us. Creatures who are undeserving of any love, of any grace and any mercy. But Lord, we want to give You all the glory and all the praise. Lord, I pray for help tonight. And I pray, Lord, that Your Word would come alive in our souls. We ask these things in Your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we talked about the word life. And we were on our way up here and just in conversation. And it truly is amazing how the Bible comes into perfect harmony. It's amazing how uh, that all that we learn and, and it just comes together and it ties up into the most beautiful, harmonious gospel truth there is. And as we talked about today, that in him was life. This speaks to God's aseity. And this is why the attributes of God are so important. Let me ask you a serious question. Before, uh, any time in your past did you really heard anything on the aseity of God? It's vital to understanding how you come in to have eternal life and how it is given to you. Knowing who God is, attributes are important. These attributes matter. And we discussed that today of the one who is life, has life in himself. That is the only source to which eternal life can be given. And it is given as a gift, not by merit or anything that we could do to earn it. And tonight we set our attention on the light, that he is light. And he is the source of light. In him is all light. He is light. And in him there is no darkness. And what you'll see paralleling between these two is that as he is the only one who has eternal life in himself, he's the only one who can give eternal life. And as he is the only true light, he's the only one who can give us the light of the gospel and bring us into that light. We, t we were talking about it today in our first sermon that we are born spiritually dead. And in our being born again, he brings us to spiritual life. But also, uh, the other uh, the way to describe how we're born is that we are born into the darkness. We are children of the dark at our birth. That We are in the dark. We do not have the light in our souls. And the only way that we can have life and light and be rescued out of the darkness into the light is by the same source that gives us life, the light, who is God. So you'll see some parallels here. And I want to just draw your attention really quickly uh, back to what these verses or where these verses are pointing us to. It's amazing how John is challenging us in these first few verses to turn our attention back to the beginning of the Bible. That's an important thing. That when we open the gospel according to John, John, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is saying, go back. I am going to draw your attention back to Genesis 1. 
And we know that before creation was God, because He is life. So we see that before creation, the one who is all life, has life in Himself, is there. There's life. And when God speaks into creation, what is the first effectual command and call that He does? Let there be light. So now in John chapter 1, we see that Him was the life, and He's the light. These are parallel in creation. It's beautiful what John is doing here. Why is he doing this? Because he wants you and I and everyone that reads this letter to know that I get an idea. Why don't we see why he's doing it? John chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. He wants you to know that Jesus is not just a man. You're going to get tired of hearing this, maybe. Uh, Hopefully not. He wants you to know that Jesus is not just a man, not just a good teacher, but he is deity. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Zoe, life in his name, eternal life. We talked about that this morning, early afternoon. John starts here to show the deity of Christ. And tonight, we're going to talk about the light. It says that in him was life, and the light was the light of men. The eternal word, the Logos, who John is referencing here, is the light. He is light. And in him there is no darkness. If you want to follow along on your sheet here, there's just a few verses that we'll read to speak about God being light. The first one is in John chapter 8. The first two are actually from John. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You're going to see a correlation to those whom he shines his light upon. And those whom he gives eternal life, there is a command that we're to walk in the light. That we're not to walk like the world, who are the children of the darkness, but we're to walk as children of the light to which we are. John chapter 12, verses four, or verse 46 says this, I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Again, how many verses have we read just in these first two Sundays of the gospel according to John? Have you seen the word believe? Almost in every one of them, they're there. 98 of 245 times in the New Testament, John is going to relay the word believe. But we must believe in the true and living God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 through 16, is going to tell us that God dwells, the Father, in an approachable light. I just wanted to put there to see that the radiance and the glory of the Father is in unapproachable light. Listen to what it says which he will bring about in the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. No one has seen the Father, but how in the world can we know the Father and we see the Father? We see that from the Logos, the Word, who is the Word 
of the Father, who is the message of the Father. You want to see the Father? You look to the Word. You look to the Son. He is the true, and uh, He is the exact representation of His being. That God is light, and in Him is there, no, there is no darkness. I have these two things underlined on your sheet. We've talked about it uh, previously already, but I think it's important. Since God is the only one who has eternal life in Himself, Zoe, He is the only one who can give eternal life. Since God is light and the source of light, He is the only one who can bring us into the light. Do you see the dependency on God for life and for light? Think about creation. As we as creatures, for us to have life, eternal life, and to have the light made known in our souls, we are dependent on God. Now go back to creation. How was anything created? They were, it was all dependent on God. Even at creation. For anything to have existence, for coming to being, it was dependent on God. And how did light come into the scene? Dependent on the effectual call of God. Do you see the parallels in creation and in our lives? He's the source of life. He's the source of light. And we cannot have either one outside of Him. How many times have you stopped and thought about your life, about your conversion, about your dependence on Him for life and light, and went to the book of Genesis and saw the dependency on all of creation for life and light in God? You see, there's not one thing in all of creation that is not dependent on God. That's quite high stakes. And that's quite the sovereign God who is the creator of all and to which all things hold together. Life and light. This is what John is wanting us to know. So let's turn our attention to how we are before Christ. A lot of this you've heard before. Some of it you may have not. Even if you have, I'll quote Peter. Thank you, Peter, that says, let me stir up way of remembrance to you. You already know this. It's okay to tell you again. Thank you, Peter. I'm glad that's in there. But we talked about today that every human being, after the fall of Adam, is born into this curse. We are born into a fallen sin nature and that we are born spiritually dead. That is why we have to be born again. That is why we have to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. That is not brought about by the flesh. That is brought about by the spirit. That is a supernatural, sovereign act of God and God alone. But not only are we born spiritually dead, we are born dwelling in the dark and lovers of the dark. That's who we are. We love the dark and we hate the light. We hate the light. We don't seek God who is the light. We run from the light. We despise the light. We hate the light. There's nothing in our fallen state that would ever make us want to come to the light on our own. So then the question comes, and we've asked this before. Here's the, here's the million-dollar question then. If we as fallen creatures, as rebel creatures, hate the light, do not seek God who is the light, 
can't come to the light on our own, how in the world do we come into being children of the light? Isn't that a paradox? Isn't that a, isn't that a mysterious question? The Bible is clear. We hate the light. We run from the light. We hate God. We don't love God. We don't run to Him. We don't seek Him. So how in the world do we become children of the light? How are we transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Well, we know there's only one, one who can do that. The one who is the source of life, who gives life, and the one who is the source of light, who gives us light and calls us into His light. We're dependent on Him for life and light. And we go back, all the way back to Genesis 1. Can you believe we would go there? I hope that you never forget the parallel between John 1 and Genesis 1. We must think about the effectual call of God. We mentioned this today, that the effectual call of God is effectual because it brings about the affected cause that He desires. God has an effectual call, and He doesn't need you or me to give Him permission for that call to be effective. He didn't need Lazarus to say, yes, okay, I'll come out. No, He didn't do that. And we go back to creation. And in creation, do you know what he says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3? The one who has life in himself, the creator of all things, says, let there be light. There it is, life and light. That's an effectual call. We say this every time, so why not break tradition here? Do we believe that the light could have said, well, let me think about it. I hear you. I hear you calling me into being, you're calling me into existence here, and your call is pretty effectual most of the time. Let me get back to you on that. I'll let you know what I decide if I'll come and shine into this darkness. God did not wait to see if the light would make his call effectual. Do you know what happened when God said, let there be light? Shall we? Let's be, let's be biblical. And let's go find the text. It's not hard to find. Just so you can lay your eyes on it if you want to here. Let's start in verse 1. In the beginning, God. Sound familiar? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read today that nothing was formed or created that was not formed outside of the Son of God. The earth was formless and void and darkness. There's darkness over the surface of the deep. Here comes the Spirit of, the God, he's tri of God. He's triune in nature. You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Spirit here. He was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. It doesn't get much more clear than that. The effectual call of God into the darkness to there be light, there came light. Just as fast as he could call it, it came. It was effectual. It brought about the effect that it was 
designed to have. Here's life. God speaking light into the darkness. And there was light. That's the same thing that happens to us. That's the same thing that happens to us in our regeneration and in our salvation. The same God who's at creation, has life in himself, is not speaking into the universe of darkness, but he's speaking into another darkness. Into the dark recesses of our fallen, sinful, rebellious souls. He's speaking to that. He's speaking to the souls and the hearts that are, that are wicked and evil and full of darkness with no light. He's speaking to the heart that is stone with no feelings and affections and love for God. If you wanted to see the state of our being before Christ, it is darkness. It is wicked. It is evil. And there's nothing good. And in John chapter 3, which we'll get to uh, here in a few months, who knows? But in John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, listen to the indictment. It says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. That's the state of all of us before Christ. We hate the light. We run from the light. And it does not come to the light for fear that their de his deeds will be exposed. We do not seek the light. We hate the light before Christ changes our souls and saves us. So how? How in the world do we, who are spiritually dead, which we talked about today, and are in darkness, how do we get to the light? How do we come out of the kingdom of darkness into light when we hate the light? We go back to Genesis 1. We have to. In the beginning was God, and He was life. He's the one who gives eternal life. And into the darkness He spoke, and there was light. And that's what He does to the heart and the soul of His sheep. Your heart is so dark. My heart is so dark with no light. But just as God at the foundation of the world speaks and says, let there be light. Verse 3 says there was light. That's what he does to the hearts of his elect. He places the effectual call into your soul. And it would go something like this. I'll use Taylor because I feel like I'm safe that way. And she's right here. This is what happens when you're near the front. No one will ever be near the front after that statement. I shouldn't have said that. It's like this. I see pictures of her as a baby. Very cute, very beautiful. Born into sin. Born into darkness. Born spiritually dead. Hopeless. On her own. Unable to raise herself to spiritual life. Unable to come to the light because she hates the light. Runs from the light. Doesn't seek the light. That's not just her. Trust me, it's all of us. 
And it's in this moment that God that we talked about today that raises us up from spiritual death to spiritual life. He also comes to the soul. And there was one point in her life where maybe this is what was heard. Taylor, speaking to her soul, let there be light. And the darkness didn't have a chance at creation. The darkness could not stop the light. And when the Son of God declares light into a soul by regeneration, by being born again and calling you into his kingdom, the darkness cannot stand it. The darkness cannot overpower it. And just as the light shone in creation, when he speaks into the soul of his elect and says, let there be light, guess what? There's light. There's light. The light that you hated He's now changed your affection. He's changed your inclinations. He's changed your heart from stone to flesh. And now you love the light. And now you want to run to the light because you know there's only one way and only one truth, and that is God. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Listen. Tell me if you see creation all over this verse, and tell me if you can see your regeneration in this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, where could he have said that at? In creation. Is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. It is the same God who said, into the darkness, let there be light. He says that into the souls of his believers. And he brings the light and the glory and the knowledge of him into our being. To see the glory in the face of Christ. And the glory of God dwells in weak, delicate, earthen vessels of us as human beings. And he says that this happened so that the glory of God will be on display and you will see it's not of yourself, but it's all from God. You ever think about that? Think about your salvation. Think about who you were. You could have been the sweetest kid in the world. I've never found anybody that says I was that. But you could have been. You could have been, you could have been the greatest student in the world. You could have gotten not one bit of trouble. You could have been an outstanding American citizen. But without Christ, your heart is wicked and evil and in darkness. And if you're a Christian, there is a point in life where God regenerated your soul, brought you to spiritual life, and spoke into your soul, let there be light. And no darkness can stop that. No force of hell can stop that. It is effectual. We must get that straight. When God calls us, those whom he calls, he justifies. If he calls everyone equally, everyone is in heaven. That's not the case. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that in heaven is who? The called, the chosen, and the faithful. They're all together. 
God does not call us, and we decide whether or not we make that call effectual. When God calls your name like he did Lazarus, and he did into the light, it does bring about the effect that he's desired. And to say otherwise is to absolutely declare that we have sovereignty and power over the call and the commands of God. I'm not willing to say that, and I hope you are not either. When we talk about light, we must, again, go to number six. We, we've, we've referenced this a lot, but it's important. And in number six, we see who the blessed man is. And we find from Revel, Romans chapter four, the blessed man is the one whom God uh, forgives their sins, who does not hold their sins against them, and gives them eternal life. We, we see that that's who the blessed man is. And in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, this is what we call a synonymous parallelism. And, and what that means is that the first stanza, you, you, have, you have three different sections here. And the first section, the first sentence of one is equal to the first sentence of the next stanza. They're paralleling and they're synonymous. So how this plays out is this. It says in verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. What this is saying here is, how are you blessed? Well, we find that by the first sentence in verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you. To the blessed man, his face will shine upon that person. The radiance of his glory and his light of his face will shine upon the blessed person. And then in verse 26, it says, And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. So the blessed man to whom his sins are forgiven and to whom the Lord will never take into account his sins because they've been forgiven and the great exchange has taken place. He has become sin on our behalf so we could become the righteousness of God. The true blessed man is the one whom God makes his face shine upon. That's light. It's the knowledge of who he is. It's the countenance of his glory. It's the, it's the majestic being of Christ that he, by his grace alone, makes shine upon them. That that is an act of God. He does not have to make his face shine upon anyone, but he does. And he does that to his sheep. He makes his face shine upon them, and we see the parallel. The blessed man is the one whose face that God has shined upon, and he's lifted his countenance upon. Has he done that to you? If he's made you to be born again, if he saved you, if he's brought you from death to life, then he has made his face shine upon you to see the glory of the gospel, to see the light of him. And what's amazing to this is how we contrast heaven and hell. The blessed man. Let me read this really quickly in Romans. So you can, let me get it word for word here in the book of Romans chapter 4. And we see this from number 6. The Lord bless you. And he talks about who that blessed person is. In Romans 4, verse 6 through 8, it says, 
just as David also speaks on the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness. Does that sound familiar? What does God crediting righteousness look like? That's justification. That's the great exchange. The blessed man is to whom that takes place, apart from works. Now listen, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. We hear the word lawless. And think about in Matthew chapter 7, where he says that there will be many on that day who said, Lord, Lord, and he says, what? I never knew you. And he says, depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. That is sin. That's opposite of God. And he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. This is the blessed man. Their lawless deeds have been forgiven. Their sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whom sin the Lord will not take into account. They've been atoned. They've been propitiated by God. That's the blessed man. We go back to Numbers. The blessed man is the one whom God shines his face upon, brings the light of him and his gospel upon them. He's the only one who can bring that light because he is light. And like I said, this is the two oppositions of heaven and hell. The Bible says that those who are not blessed, those whom God has not shined his light upon and has not given the gift of mercy and grace to, then they will be cast where? Into hell, which is the place of outer darkness. Do you see the contrast? To the blessed man, the light of God in his face is shined upon by the glory of God. But to the one who's not blessed, God does not shine his face upon. He does not lift his countenance upon to which he remains in darkness, to which he will spend all eternity in the place of outer darkness. But we know that if he's lifted his countenance upon us, shined the light of his glory upon us, then we will spend eternity not in outer darkness, but in a place where the light that illumines that place is more magnificent and more bright than our human minds could ever imagine. Again, the blessed man is that person to whom the Lord makes his face shine upon. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Walk as children of light. Isn't that a command? You are not children of darkness anymore. You've been rescued. So here's your command. Walk like children of light. Walk like God has shined His face upon you. Walk like God has been merciful to you. Walk like you know that you have no hope without Him. Walk like you know that the only way that you are in this light is because He effectually called into your soul and He raised you from death to life. Know that your dependency on life and light is upon the one that we're reading here. And be an ambassador for Him. Walk like a child of the light, not in the ways you formerly walked. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, For he rescued us. Again, who's the hero? You didn't rescue yourself out of darkness. It says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, who is light. There's a rescuing that goes on. Life and light. Our life is in Christ. We have no hope of eternal life without Him. And we have no source of light on our own. And we have no way to rescue ourselves and be brought into the kingdom of light other than 
God who is light. Going back to John chapter 1, we see that it says, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Two things I want to say here. Uh, the word comprehend there is one way to translate this out. And, and that is true too, because we know that in multiple places like Matthew 11, not everybody can understand or comprehend the light. Not everybody can understand the message of the gospel because it is God's choice and His will to whom He reveals it to. And that's just a simple fact. Let me, let me read this really quickly here. Listen to this. And we've quoted this so many times in our life. Have you ever heard or quoted, uh, take my yoke upon me, those who are weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. And we say, whew, good, I've had a hard week at work. I need some physical rest. Well, he will give you rest, but that's not what this verse is talking about. This is a spiritual rest. And, and listen, and, and tell me if you think this sounds fair. At that time, Jesus said, uh, sorry, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Wait a minute. You mean God can choose whom to, he reveals things to and who he doesn't? That's not fair. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. It was well-pleasing to you to hide things from some people, to reveal it to others. You can do that. We have no inherent claim to understand these things. We have no inherent claim to the light or to the knowledge of God. The fact that we have it is because He has allowed us to have it by His sovereign grace. And He says this in verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Not everybody is in that category. Not everyone has God's face shine upon them and see the light of the gospel. Not everyone has that. It is the blessed man and the blessed woman who has that, and that is the children of God whom God has chosen from the foundation of the world. He says, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And then He gives a call, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. If that message applies to you, if you know you have no hope, if God has shown you who He is, and you know your brokenness, then you come. And who will come and hear that message? All that the Father gives will come. And they will have rest for their souls. That's what this text is talking about. But you see, not everyone can understand the light. Not everyone comprehends the light. And it actually goes on to tell us even farther that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand the things of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Starting in verse 14, it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Let that sink in. By nature, in our fallen state, we cannot do anything pleasing to God, and we can't understand, understand the things of God in our own sinful nature and our fallen ways. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This is only by the Spirit of God that we can have any enlightenment to His knowledge and His gospel. 
And he does not have to reveal that. He does not have to do that with everyone. And there are people who do not comprehend the light because God has not shined his face upon them. So we see that the darkness, they did not comprehend. But there's also another word that can be translated here. Instead of it saying, and the darkness did not comprehend it, another translation that could be used from this word is, and the darkness did not overpower it. Both of these fit in great context here. We go back to the start of creation. God says, let there be light. Could the darkness overpower that command? Could the darkness overpower the light? No. You can go into the darkest cave. The darkest cave I've ever been in is Mammoth Cave. I mean, that was a long time ago. And you go down into the, you go down to the darkest parts and they shut off all the lights. You can't see. But what if someone has a flashlight? The smallest flashlight and you shine it. Guess what? The darkness cannot overpower that light. Darkness shines. The darkest of dark cannot overpower and can find the light. And just in creation, when God said, let there be light, that darkness couldn't overpower the light that God had called. And when God calls light into our souls, there's not amount of any darkness that can overpower that. He brings us to life and he gives us light. In the darkness of this world, the darkness of men's heart, the evil that it is in this world, the dark forces of the devil, the dark forces of all his demons, all the darkness in the world cannot overpower for one second the God of light. Cannot. It's simply impossible. And the only, the only authority that they have is authority that was given to them by God. That's what he tells Pilate, isn't it? This is your time. The only power you have is the power that you've been given. And even on the cross, that was where the omnipotence of God shined That's where his power was shining, as it was him and him willingly laying down his life. And and we see that on the cross, the darkness could not overpower the light. Going back to Colossians chapter 2, we were there this morning. We were talking about being dead in transgression. Let's read that again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. But now this time, let's go down into verse 15 and see if the darkness can overpower the light. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, he says this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now listen. The darkness cannot overpower the light. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, this is on the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That the world looked like darkness was reigning. That the one who claimed he was light was dying on a cross. And in that moment, when it looked like all hope was lost, the light was overpowering the darkness, even on the cross. And we know that at the end of all things, God will overpower him and put the final nail in the coffin once and for all as he casts the devil and all the ungodly into the place of outer darkness. 
because the light of his light was never shined upon him, their face. And then we look to 1 John. And we know that 1 John was written by the same one who wrote the gospel according to John. And what John does here in these first seven verses is he combines life and light. Perry had mentioned this, um, I think, last Sunday as we were closing. He said, you know, that John was an eyewitness to this. That's what he said. Like John saw the glory of God. And now John's going to expand on that a little bit in 1 John chapter 1. Listen to what it says. What was from the beginning, we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Stop there for a second. That word is, the word word is capitalized. Where have you saw that at? In the beginning was the Logos. Now John comes back and says, look, in the beginning, we have seen it. We have looked at it with our eyes. We've heard and we've touched with our hands concerning the Logos of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, there's eternal life again, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Doesn't that mean something more to you now? That the eternal life was here with you. Zoe, he is life, in him is life, and that eternal life was dwelling upon this earth to give eternal life as only he could give to those who believe which was with the Father. There it is again. The triune nature, the fellowship of God from all eternity past. Verse 3, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may, may be made complete. Verse 5, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. You ready? That God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, and this is where we got to really perk up, because that sounds good. We're like, amen. Truly, truly. In him is no darkness. I like that. That sounds good. Let's see if we like verse 6 as much. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the blessed man. The one whom God has shined his face upon. It is a dangerous thing to say you walk in the light. Because the, we who walk in the light... Or proclaim the light, must walk in the light. And not in the ways of darkness to which he's called us out of. I love the way John meshes all those concepts in the first seven verses of 1 John. But let's go back to John 1 again. We're almost done. We had mentioned that the blessed man is the one whom God shines his face upon. The blessed man is the one whom God declares and calls out, let there be light into their soul, and they're transferred out of darkness into light. 
They have fellowship with the light. They have eternal life with the life and the light of God. And we said that those who do not have the light of God will spend their eternity into the darkness to which they love. You see, here's the thing about it. Every person that is born in this earth, before Christ saves them, and if Christ does not show mercy on them, they love the darkness. They love the darkness. That's why they love the world. The world is darkness. The world gives them everything they want. There's no battle. There's no struggle. The battle begins in our lives when we become Christians. Because before Christians, the world has given us everything we want. The world has given us everything we love. Darkness. There's no battle. There's no struggle. Life is easy. I'm doing the things I love. I'm doing the things I want. I'm in darkness. I love darkness. I hate the light. And the world is all darkness, so therefore, no problem. But then you come into the kingdom of light. And there's where the struggle begins. Because you're still in this, sin, you're still in this fallen sinful body. You're still in the flesh, but you're still... Be, or you're being conformed to the image of God, and you still sin from time to time. And the struggle is real. The struggle begins when you're a Christian because now you know that you don't want to do these things, and you know that's not what you're supposed to do, but you still live in a fallen world. That's what Paul says. There's a struggle. There's a war. But the people to whom God does not shine His light upon, guess what? They don't care. They love their darkness. They hate God. They hate the light. They are living out their free will every day of their life, and their free will is opposite of God. It's enslaved. It's in bondage to sin, and they are living exactly the way they want to live. And their eternity will be perfect justice. Their eternity will be in darkness to which they love. Darkness to which they've ran and lived in all their life. That will be their fate for all eternity to which they will love. And if you pull them out of that darkness, we've said this before, you pull them out of that darkness and you stood them before God, if God did not show them mercy and shine His light upon them, guess what they would do? They would run back to the darkness and the torment as fast as they could because they still hate the light. We've got that all wrong. But they say five minutes in hell. They, no, if God doesn't shine his light upon them, they're still living in darkness. They're still in bondage to the will. And they would run headfirst back because they hate the light more. That is our souls until he declares light and sets us free. That is their punishment. That is their torment. The darkness forever. The torment. The, the, the immutable wrath of God for all eternity. But if he's brought you out of darkness into light with his effectual call and his mercy to which you're hopeless and helpless to do on your own, then you have a different future. Listen to your future and listen to mine. I have no inerrant, inherent right to be here. I've done nothing to be where you're going to hear me read about. I've done nothing to earn it. I don't deserve it. This is not something that I have any claim to on my own. But listen, to the one who has had the face of God and the light of his gospel shine upon, the final fulfillment of that light will take place one day. And this is what John, the same one who wrote the gospel according to John, is recording in the book of Revelation. And listen to this. In chapter 22, verse 3 through 5, there will no longer be any curse. 
and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Go outside and look at the radiance and the brightness of the sun that is so far away from us. That's not bright enough to illumine the new Jerusalem. That's not even close. The God who started the working of salvation before the foundation of the world and the God who shined His face upon His elect will complete that. And the light that has been shown in our hearts is just a glimpse of that day. To quote Peter, when we as exiles finally step foot in our forever home, and we won't need the light of a lamp, and we won't need the light of the sun, because God who is light, and no darkness in Him at all, will illumine that place forever and ever. It's quite remarkable. I want us to see the dependency on the one John is speaking of for life and for light. There's only one who has no darkness. It is God. And He's the only one that can call you into light. And there's only one who has eternal life. And he's the only one who can give you eternal life. Absolutely dependent on him. You must believe in this God. You must believe in the right God. And if you're a Christian, he's done both of these for you today. He's brought you to life. He's given you eternal life. And he's brought you into the kingdom of light. And called light into your soul. You see, it's life versus death like we talked about today, and it's light versus darkness, and there is not an in-between. And the one whom it all depends on is the one who you've heard in the first five verses of the gospel according to John. What is John's purpose as being led by the Holy Spirit? We'll close with John chapter 20. Verse 30 through 31. My goal is that we have this memorized. You remember when you were younger, you memorized Bible verses? Hopefully in the next seven and a half years, you can remember the purpose according to gospel, according to John. John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. If you memorize it and say it in front of the church, we may give you a special treat. John chapter 20. The life and the light that he has proclaimed. Listen. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Zoe in his name. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are life and you are light. 
And Lord, you are the only source of those things. Lord, I pray tonight we would understand more urgently how desperate and dependent we are on you for life and light. And Lord, as we contemplate you being light, Lord, let us stop for a moment and reflect on our souls in the darkness that there was in before you came and rescued us and transferred us into the kingdom of light and out of darkness. Lord, let us understand that the only way that we are in the light and have seen the light is because it has been your will to reveal that light and to shine your countenance upon our faces and to call us effectually out of darkness into light. And Lord, we're so thankful that the darkness could not overpower you. And we're so thankful that when you spoke into our souls, let there be light. The darkness could not overpower it, that command. And Lord, let us stop for a moment and Lord, have greater resolve to walk as children of the light in this world. That even in the darkest places, the light that shines in our souls that is from you would not be overpowered by the darkness of this world. It can't. It's impossible. Light overpowers darkness. And let that be our mindset as we walk into this world this week. And Lord, let us know that even when we look into the news and all around, it looks like darkness is raining. But Lord, we know that all things are from you. Plan A is running flawlessly, full steam ahead as we speak. And it is your perfect plan and you are light and the light overpowers the darkness. And Lord, we thank you that one day as we leave this dark world, that we will be illumined forever by the absolute true source of light. You, for all eternity. We give you praise and we give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.